On today's episode, Mike and Ryan use science to put common beer myths and hacks to the test. Cheers. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Brewers and Law podcast, where beer is thicker than water. In this podcast, we take a journey to, of discovering home brewing, craft beer, and more. Ryan, um, sorry, yeah, Mike and I. What's your name again? I don't know. We <laughs> we we are recovering. From this the last is episode, episode two. The last one was a tasting. Uh, so we are both amateur home brewers. Excited about beer and home brewing. I'm Brewers in Law. We aren't looking to act as authorities, but to share our experiences with you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we hope that you will share with us so we can all learn and grow and enjoy this wonderful hobby together as we all drink way too early in the morning. Cheers. I am Ryan. Cheers and to with recording me, in the morning. Yep. <laughs> I am Ryan. And with me, as always, my brother in law, Mike. How's it going? Oh, man. <laughs> we just recorded our uh, Porters versus Stouts episode at 10 in the morning. And who, uh, baby? Who, baby? You might hear me <laughs> eating some peanut a, butter crackers. So, <laughs> so, but with that said, I am so excited. A little bit of personal info for anyone who doesn't, uh, um, doesn't like know me personally, you know, because that's how that works. Um, I, I work in medical research, so I, I do science for yes. a living, and I'm really stoked about the tests that we did for this episode of Myth Brewsters. Well, before we get to the Myth Brewsters, let's dive into our first sip. Okay. So, I know you were excited about this one when I told you this one. It is a really good idea. So, going <laughs> along with myths and legends, we'll say, Mike, what is a myth that you truly believe in? I struggled with this one. I, uh, I'm not really someone who believes in a lot of myths. At least I don't think so. <laughs> so the two things I will say is that while you, you had, at, when you texted me, you said, uh, Nessie aliens, etc." <laughs> <laughs> so while I don't believe that aliens have ever like visited earth or anything, I'm not sure if this counts, but I definitely do believe that there is life elsewhere in the universe and probably intelligent life. And that there also probably was at least at some point rudimentary life somewhere else in the solar system. So you believe in aliens. Sure. I believe in aliens. <laughs> put it on the record. Also, this is kind of adjacent, but I wouldn't say it's a myth I believe in, but I'm a sucker. You and I talked about this at, uh, at the beach this year in Lexington. I'm a sucker for, any sort of deep sea, the whole like, you know, oh, there's yes. so much unexplored, like what the F is down there, you know, because because you look at um, you look at things like the anglerfish, which is just like a <laughs> weird, thing of nightmares. terrifying nightmare creature. And then you realize like how little about the deep sea we really know. And you're like, what else is down there? Mm-hmm. And there is this really um, like fun little thing I, I found there, I don't know if I, we may have talked about this, but uh, have you ever heard of the bloop? Mm-mm. Okay. So there's this, it's been just proven now, but like there is this, um, you know, they, they like track, um, sounds, you know, using sonar and stuff, yeah. um, in the, the ocean. And they, they collected this sound that had the profile that made it seem like it was, uh, like organic, like it mm-hmm. came from a living creature, but the frequency of it was so low that it had to have been the the size of a creature that could have made this sound was like it had to have been enormous you know like could eat a blue whale as a snack enormous oh, like, so they they called that sound the bloop okay and you can look up like just go to google image search and look up the bloop and there's a lot of really great fan art of it of like this you know enormous fish about to just like you know chomp a boat or whatever yeah. and it was eventually discovered that it was like some sort of like deep sea volcano or something like that it was it was disproven but i i wouldn't say that like i believe in creatures like that per se but i love stuff like that i Mm -hmm. i I think it's a really fun like uh like i I wish fiction would explore the deep sea a little more Mm -hmm. um and i think that stuff is all really fun and like neat to kind of like 
maybe not truly believe in, but at least to kind of like fictionalize about. I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's like really solid place for like horror to be based off yes. of and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, one that I I honestly believed and it was actually proven to be a true thing. Um, this isn't mine, but I, I'm going to play off what you were just saying. <clears throat> was the Kraken? The Kraken, the Kraken, though technically not like what's been portrayed in like most uh, yeah. pirate lore, giant squids have been found. Are totally real. They yeah. are a real thing. I know. I and, would love to to see one like a like a body of one oh, in real life. Would that be so cool? It would be. Ins- I, I would be terrified. But well, not a living one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, no. Knowing Afterwards. something that big. Sorry. Knowing something that big is out there. It's crazy, it's crazy, right? It's insane. Um, but my true one, and I, I do have a, a side note to it, so I'm going to say this. I believe in Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. But the side note to it, I no longer think she's still there because it has been 40, 50 years since the first spotting of it. And, you know, age happens, time happens, and I think she's now, like, passed. Now... She's sleeping with the fishes. Sleeping, <laughs> literally sleeping with the fishes. Um... That was that was my main one. The other one, and actually, I just thought about it. We've discussed this, up, but yeah, I, I believe you have you have at least a few myths you subscribe to. Well, I mean, there are many that I subscribe to, but we won't talk about all of them. But the other one that you brought up that actually made me think about it is the the story of Atlantis. So again, going off what you said, like the sea has been explored. What I would say, fifty percent. I think that's being generous. Yeah, at least the deep sea. The deep sea, yes. The deep sea is way less than that. Yeah, exactly. So we don't know what's way down in the bottom of those oceans to see anything. So Atlantis, though, I think it was originally stated that it was in the Mediterranean area because it's a Greek legend of some sort, or at least around that time. Yeah. Um, There's a really just quick shout out to Overly Sarcastic Productions on uh, (laughs) YouTube has a really excellent video about the Atlantis myth and like all of the different uh like kind of yeah like like where the cultures where it came from and stuff but yeah those the main one probably would be nessie i i've always believed in nessie um just because of i've i've you know i I will admit i watch a lot of those discovery channels uh, specials where they go they're so entertaining well i understand like they show the water and how murky it is and it's just it's insane on how you can just keep going with how trying to find her but you can't because of how dark and gross the water is at yeah. Loch Ness so you <laughs> can't see anything like I, I saw cameras where they put the, the cameras in there as deep as it goes and you can't see anything in front of you like you right to me now I wouldn't be able to see you that's how murky that water is I didn't know that yeah so that makes yeah that makes searching really so hard. that's I, interesting I, but I do admit it has been well long time. She has passed, but she's a large creature. Maybe we'll find the bones. You'll find the bones somewhere <laughs> in the bottom of that murky mess. But let's become, let's put on our uh, Myth Brewster's hats here. Right. I was going to say, you, you say that may be a hard one to prove or disprove, but there are several myths and hacks that we can prove or disprove right here and right now. Yes. About beer. And we're going to start with the heat cycle. Yes. Okay. So we are going to, we, we, we test it out. One of the, one test is going to be done live Yes. on air that will be coming up. We, we tested out a total of four either myths or hacks. So we sort of defining like a myth is something, some, some conventional wisdom that you're taught about uh, brewing, or in this case, really more beer drinking, um, or like beer, beer storage, etc. Yeah, a hack is something you know, something to kind of improve your brew your beer experience in one way or another. Um, so the first test that we ran was the question of whether a heat cycle ruins a canned or bottled beer. So this was something beer. that at least, yeah. So the the conventional wisdom, what I was told in college something that i feel like i've experienced in real life is that if you buy a refrigerated beer you need to keep it cold if you let it warm up even if you then make it cold again it just tastes bad yeah i don't know it, it just tastes gross so some people call this skunking technically that is a different thing skunking is like when you've got especially green bottles but like when they're exposed to sunlight mm-hmm. and stuff like that corona like that's, what, a, that's a clear or like what, what heineken like <laughs> 
just tastes like all the time <laughs> skunk. Sorry. So, Sorry, everybody. Technically a different thing. So if you buy refrigerated beer, you need to keep it cold. Is this something that, that you were exposed to? I, as, as you were the same, but um, we were both in different fraternities at different schools. Yes. Um, and I had experienced the skunk beer issue more for it was cold and then it was left outside for days, months, here <laughs> and then i'm surprised put back into the fridge <laughs> no that's what makes it skunk because it's been a year yeah and then you refrigerate it real quick so it's cold and then you drink it and it's like oh my god and plus it's also like so gross bush light or red dog oh, or something diddly, like that yep. so so that's an interesting thing you bring up because i swear i've had this experience like, yes uh we go up north I pack a cooler, mm-hmm. then the cooler sits in the garage for a while. It warms up. Mm-hmm. Then I cool the beer again and try and drink it on New Year's or whatever. And it's like, oh, it's gross. Yeah. But um, I've done a bit of research on the interwebs. And broadly, there are, um, there are, a, the, the general conventional wisdom on a lot of websites seems to be that a heat cycle per se doesn't ruin a beer. Okay. It's that it's the length of, it's just generally warm storage makes beer go stale quicker. Okay. And I think staling is really what you're talking about when you're talking about a beer being warm and being ruined. So mm-hmm. um, if that is at room temperature, that's one thing. If that's at like 80 degrees, yes. that's even worse. Like generally yes. any reaction that's going to happen is going to happen faster at higher temperatures. That's just like a kind of chemistry fact. Mm -hmm. And so that makes sense. But I swear that even for a day, if I let like my Labatt Blue get warm and Mm -hmm. then I chilled it down again, Labatt Blue is a Canadian beer for people that don't live near the (laughs) Canada border, but (laughs) but like that it's no, it's no good anymore. I swear that has happened to me. So we put it to the test. Yes. Yes, we did. So uh, a quick aside, we used a test that is fairly common in, and if you hear um, babbling, uh, that, that would be the sound of my daughter yelling from upstairs. She's adorable though. She is adorable and we apologize, <laughs> but really we don't. But so we will, we, we use the test called the triangle test. So I got full credit to the Brewlosophy podcast who I plug a lot, um, Must say they for this idea. For here. <laughs> yeah. But it is fairly ubiquitous amongst not just like beer research, but more broadly like perceptual research. If you're trying to see whether people can tell a perceptual difference in something that they taste. You Mm -hmm. use a test. You can use a test called the triangle test. And the way that it works is that you are given, you're blindedly given three samples. So in this case, it was three solo cups filled with a sample of beer at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Two of those beers were one condition and one was the other. So for instance, if I had used two different hops in a beer Mm -hmm. and I wanted to know if Ryan could tell the difference, I could give him... Two beers hopped with one hop and one beer hopped with the other. Or vice versa. and Or vice versa. You kind of randomize which one's mm-hmm. which. And then Ryan would have to pick the odd beer out. One yeah. of the beers is different. You have to pick the different one of the three. So that's how the test works. So you can do like actual statistical analysis with this mm-hmm. where you can determine like, you know, if you have a high study population, basically if people guess at random, roughly a third of them are going to get it right because yes. you have a one in three chance of getting it right. Mm-hmm. So not always exactly a third, but on average a third over a huge group of people. If they can actually tell the difference, then the proportion of people that get it right will be much higher than a third. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how you tell now, we ran these tests with me and Ryan and our siblings, which is four other people. That's only six people. That's not enough to do a robust, like, actual statistical analysis. Yeah, so, size, yeah. so take this all with a grain of salt. However, we tested uh, using the triangle test. The six of us took a blinded test on um, whether a heat cycle ruined a, uh, a – it was a canned beer – it was, uh, we tested two beers. We tested Budweiser, mm-hmm. so an American light lager, or an American lager. Yep. And, uh, and then we tested a craft beer, Bell's Two-Hearted yep. Ale. Just kind of a standard, and like hoppy beers purportedly go stale quicker. Yes. So we tested these both. They were left out for 24 hours at room temperature. So a very short time mm-hmm. because we were testing just the heat cycle, not extended. Yep. An extended time. So they were both bought fresh, cold from the same store. 
And then a can of each was warmed up for 24 hours and then chilled again. I think I technically, technically owe you money for those beers still. So I might have to bend. No, you, that. you, you got me that CO2. We're good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, but so, so then, uh, then we tested a beer that had been heat cycled with a beer that hadn't been heat cycled. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what were your thoughts going into this test? Did you, did you think there would be a difference? I honestly 100% thought there would be a difference again. Okay. Going off what I went through college, um, <laughs> when pledging fraternity, You've experienced I, it, right? I experienced it exactly. Though I will say, thinking back to it, I think the skunked beer, as they call it, would be more than twenty-four hours. I think it's probably more like months. Like I said, months yeah. or a year. But and, and then that's one. Of I those... think that makes a difference. But I think that, but like in this instance, we're doing only twenty-four hours, and I think that's going to be more common unless you're just being a you know, yeah. a dick and just well, wanted to, to mess with someone be I, like, this beer is sat out in the sun for a year here. I, drink I, it. I, I once uh, tried a beer, a, a Coors. Oh God. From <laughs> literally the 1980s. And I tried it <laughs> and I tried it in uh, like 2010 or something. And it was, it tasted like someone melted metal. <laughs> Like, cause it was canned. It was disgusting. Like undrinkably. Well, we did. Horrible. We oh. did the beers that our father-in-law brewed back when he was home. That was back rough in, too. Yeah. What the, the what was that? The seventies or eighties? Like bad cider. It yeah. tasted like really bad cider. And so, that was beer. So let's get to the results. Yes, yes results. So American lager. Thirty-three percent of us exactly two out of six got it right. And the and the bells too hard. The American IPA. Two out of six. So we we hit exactly random chance here. Yes. Um, I know personally, I was able to trick myself. So so basically, we can't conclude anything. I see no evidence that there was a difference here at 24 hours. I had so much trouble telling. I feel like I tricked myself into thinking that I one tasted different. But I honestly, if I'm if I'm being completely objective, I think I was just guessing. I, I what was see, your experience? So what? Again, I thought it. I thought I tasted a difference. I truly did. I, don't I was know. wrong on both. Of I think I was wrong on both for this one. We have another test where I think I got two. Uh, the two. Yeah, I don't know. One. Yeah, I, I I ended up getting because I think everyone got what everyone got one right except for Mallory and Bryn, Bryn. who got two right each. They, they were the master yes. tasters. <laughs> the, the beer sommeliers. Yes. Um. But yeah, I. I thought I could tell a difference. I think I may have gotten one of these right, but it was probably guessing because because <laughs> we asked a follow-up question like, well, which one did you like better? And often uh, on both of these, the people that got it right liked the peat cycled beer more. Yeah, I would do which, remember that. Which we makes no it. conventional sense. So like, I, I feel like, and sometimes that can happen. Like preferences mm-hmm. are preferences. They're completely subjective. Yes. Maybe in Two-Hearted Ale, and Haley swears this because, um, slight spoiler, we, we used Two-Hearted for our other experiment as well. Mm-hmm. She got that one right, too. She just swears because it's a hoppy beer. She doesn't even like hops, but, like, she can, she's more sensitive to differences in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. She got them both right. She swears. Our data does not prove, and really just broadly, um, the internet at large seems to agree that, like, kind of physically... One heat cycle that's really short is probably not going to ruin a beer. We, 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 maybe we can do a follow up study say, where we do like a week or two. Well, I was going to say, let's, let's, let's like store a beer now, do a year. Just like straight up right now, put it, take a beer and leave it out of the fridge. And Man, then you, a year from dude, now, most try this beers again. even in the fridge for a year, though. <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. I if, mean, if you want us to do it, the next, the next, let next, us know. next uh, episode of Myth, Myth Boosters. Okay. I think that'll be the next maybe, one. Maybe we, do. we could do multiple time points, like a month and a year or yeah. something like that. There you go. I, I love that. Okay. Okay. So moving on to our first hack. Yes. So this is about beer chilling methods. And this is late breaking data. I want to shout out to my neighbor and uh, good friend Brian, who helped me drink enough Keystone Light to fill this test out last Hence night. Hence the hangover right now. Hence the slight <laughs> hangover. Yeah. Um, but um, we wanted to test. Different methods for chilling beers. So people from the South may not know this, but like up in Michigan, it gets pretty freaking hot. 
you know, we go all the way from minus five Fahrenheit up to like one, one, one Oh five, you know, we, we get swings here. Yes. And during the summer, you just need that nice, refreshing cold beverage to stay warm. But the problem is you open up a bottle of beer and if you're in the sun in 10 minutes, man, Ooh, it's, it's, it's like, you know, 60, 60 F it's like room temp. Yep. It's not refreshing anymore. So People use all sorts of methods to keep beers cold. And so we ran a test where we basically, I I took a baseline of a Keystone light to determine the base temperature. And in, out of their fridge, it was uh, 41.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. I'm sorry. I did not do the Celsius calculation, but like, that's like. This is America. We do Fahrenheit. This is America. (laughs) um, I apologize. (laughs) Yeah. 41.2 is like fairly cold. It's like kind of in the safe range for storing food. Fairly common. Um, So 41.2. And then we tested the following scenarios. We we opened the beer. We let it sit on the kitchen table at their house for 10 minutes. And then we took another reading. This was all done with a meat thermometer. So a reading after 10 minutes, how much heat has been lost. Okay. We tested a regular can, a cheap Regular kind of standard fabric can koozie. Koozie, okay. Um, a, what I would call like um, a tactical can koozie. Although I have one that turns into a flashlight that is literally a tactical koozie. But I, I'm talking about, it's... More than this one? No, no, no. Okay. Not, not okay. foam. We didn't not test foam. foam. Okay. So, so we tested fabric. Okay. And we tested, you know that one? It's The brand is Asobu, A-S-O-B-U. It's an air, it's an airlined koozie. So it's like kind of a thermos koozie. It's the one that like has the bottle. (gasps) Yes. It's like modular. You can like, um, so it's really cool. It's like a bottle shaped koozie, (laughs) but then you can twist off the top of it and it becomes a can koozie. Yes. And it's all airlined. So it's like better insulated. Pretty sure Um, I bought that for you. (laughs) You did for Christmas. Yeah. So we tested that a fancy. So we got cheap koozie, fancy koozie. And then we've got the classic frozen pint glass. Yep. Where, or, or the frosted pint glass where you just kind of, um, my parents do this. They keep a bunch of mugs in the freezer, mm-hmm. just regular mugs. Um, so, and people do this with pint glasses too. And I think restaurants will chill them. They'll chill them. Yeah. So, so this was a, this was a frosted pint glass, not just refrigerated. It was in the freezer. Okay. And then finally an ice mug, that old classic where it's typically a plastic mug, that's hollow and filled with some sort of liquid, liquid. that can actually freeze mm-hmm. and will melt slowly. So it's like kind of like icing your beer, but you don't get any sort of um, dilution. It's not melting into the beer. It's just helping the beer stay cold. Side so, note, I feel like they should make those for scotches. Oh, like an ice lined. Are you sure they don't? Have they probably do. They probably do. We'll we'll say that for another episode. They might. That's that's a really that's a really. I've never seen one. I really never really yeah. Like an ice lined scotch glass. Yeah. It's a gorgeous idea. Yes. Anyways, go back. Sorry. Didn't mean Anyhow, to distract. So, um, you Ryan, you are completely blind to this. Day. I have no you idea. Didn't take yeah. Part in the test. Um, what are what were your what what are your thoughts? If you had to guess, what's the most? <sighs> I honestly ten minutes. Ten, ten minutes. minutes of room temperature. I will probably say that both the frosted glass and the ice glass are useless in this point because they they will go they will melt as fa- as fast as what anything else would and it will just go with the beer itself. I think the special koozie will work best. You think the special koozie was yes. the best? Okay, so the can warmed up by two and a half degrees Fahrenheit. Right, okay. so that's our baseline: two yep. and a half degrees of warming up to forty three point seven degrees Fahrenheit. From henceforth, I'm just only going to talk about the difference. The cheap koozie, actually, I don't understand this, but it warmed by more than just the can. <laughs> so the can warmed two and a half. The 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 cheap koozie warmed by three point four degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, that makes zero sense. Like no, that how, makes perfect sense it's not for how anyone that sells those. Works. Yeah, <laughs> fine, whatever. But like, I swear that can't be right. But that was that was what the data is the data. Okay. It was actually worse than just the can. And granted, I think this would be different. Maybe it's that cuz cuz here's the thing. So transfer of temperature from the air happens slower thermodynamically speaking than transfer from direct contact with a surface, right? Mm-hmm. So um maybe because the koozie was room temp 
and was in contact with the can, like it transferred heat into it. I don't know. But, but I would think if you, I, I would say if you're holding it and I, I think the koozie would still help because it would prevent your hand from transferring heat to the beer. Right. I mean, but you, you weren't holding any of these beers. We so, that's, so that's, that's a no factor. Not part of the test. Yeah. So well, I it's think no that's... factor in this test, but I'm saying the koozie literally performed worse than nothing. But I think if you're holding the beer, a koozie would probably still help. Yeah. So the, the fancy koozie, the Asobu koozie. So again, our baseline is two and a half. The cheap koozie was plus 3.4. The fancy koozie only warmed up by 1.6. Okay. So a pretty significant reduction in warming over 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, that's, that's pretty solid. So now we get to the frosted pint glass. The frosted pint glass stayed at precisely the same temperature over that really? 10 minutes. Yeah. Okay. It actually gained no heat. It was exactly the same. That surprises me because I thought I thought that was going to be the worst one. I, I kind of agreed because it almost... And granted, we were at room temp. Uh, I'd love to retest this in summer heat, but those always seem like they warm up so quickly. It's like barely worth it, right? Well, I say next time we go up to the cottage, we'll just... On the beach, right. we'll just do every single one of them, leave them for 10 minutes in the sun and just... Come and check them again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. That's why I did this inside. One, because it's cold now in Michigan. But two, because like I didn't love the idea of like having, having to drink those, those beers afterwards. <laughs> Maybe we can just sacrifice some some light beers. Well, that's why it's key stuff. To test it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the ice mug, the final test. Yes. The ice mug actually got colder by five, really? five point four degrees. So by comparison, the one that warmed up the most, the cheap koozie, warmed up by 3.4. This one got colder by 5.4 down to 35.8 degrees Fahrenheit. See, I thought that was going to be the second worst, honestly. Yeah. I, I uh, Again, so there, there are some. So in our test, the ice mug by far outperformed the others. But there are some considerations, and I think this plays into maybe your expectations. Mm -hmm. The pint mug and the ice glass will only work... Until they melt or warm up. Mm -hmm. So 10 minutes at room temp is a relatively easy test. Whereas mm -hmm. like if it takes you a half hour to drink a beer and you're out in summer heat, mm -hmm. once that warms up, it's not going to insulate much. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it might do better than it has a, a limited. It's going to do better than an aluminum can, Yes, but it's just, you know, the glass will warm up or the plastic and, and eventually it'll be the same temperature as everything else. Mm -hmm. And it's a one-time use. Yeah. So you can't then reuse the ice mug, whereas you can reuse koozies yep. over and over and over again. We might, I thought I said, we might have to revisit this one too, just for that uh, longer time length and, yeah. and, sun, and sun or, or no sun in but, compare. Yeah. But it is interesting because like, if you're looking to have one beer and you're looking to slog it down fairly quickly, I think I would go with the ice mug still. But let's review. If you're going to slug it down pretty quickly, are you going to take time to use a koozie or use an ice mug or are you just going to drink from the can or bottle? Honestly, like I'm shocked. Like when we're in my parents' pool at how fast beer can warm up in the sun. So I would I'm probably- about to say, I do want we, to test in we, the we sun. We typically use either ice mugs or frosted mugs there. I think it helps. Mm -hmm. I don't think it adds a ton of time. And I think if we did a test at a half hour, I think you might have been right. I think mm -hmm. at a half hour in the sun, the airline koozie is going to be the best. Yes. Um, but at this test, under these conditions, I think it works. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna crush like a light beer, but you're gonna be in the sun, it's gonna take you 10, 15 minutes. I I would say the ice mug is the way to go. All right. I, I, I mean, or, I or at least that's how I interpret this. Well, science has spoken. You're right. So there are other alternatives. You know, we've already said we would love to maybe retest this in the summer. I I have a, a little insert called um oh God, what is it called? Chilsner. The Chilsner. The yes. Chilsner. <laughs> that like can go, it's a little metal thing that can go into a bottle to warm mm -hmm. to chill a bottle. You place it in the freezer. Didn't have a chance to test that one. Because um, you did cans. Because so we did cans, yeah. Yep. So maybe, you know, the, that's more of a bottles test. Um, there are other things too. Like you said, there's foam koozies. You know, there's a lot of directions we could take this. And if you have a preferred method for keeping your beer cold, we chose not to do things like like a thermos, for instance. Yeah. Like, a you know, because if you put it, you put your beer in like a, a Yeti thermos. Okay, of course it's going to stay cold, but it feels unnatural to drink a beer out of a Yeti thermos and it's mm. not going to stay carbonated. So we chose to, to pick things that at least I found to be like fairly more common. common. Yeah. Um, and and that, that is why those were chosen. All right. Well, let's 
You got anything else on this one? No, no, that's it. I, I think right. we I think we can go to break, and then when we when we come back, we'll have one more myth and one more hack to test. Okay, perfect. So let's go to quick break. Let's hear about um, AZP or um, <laughs> a studio demands it. <laughs> they're awesome. And cheers. Cheers. Hi there, I'm David. And I'm Kate. And we're the hosts of another Zelda podcast. There are so many good podcasts out there, and some of them in particular concern the legend of Zelda. <laughs> That's right, Kate, and we are another one of them. we That is actually the name of our show, Another yes. Zelda Podcast. And in our show in particular, we talk about some of our favorite dungeons, characters, boss battles. We have top 10 lists. Yeah, we do deep dives on game design and production aspects of the different Zelda games. And we talk about our own experiences. We do some review episodes, talk about our challenges, our struggles, and our victories. That's right. You know, really just almost anything that has to do with Zelda, we like to talk about it. A new episode comes out every other Friday, and you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and YouTube. And you can also check out our episodes on our website, anotherzeldapodcast.com. That's right. All right, we will see you there. Okay, bye! Hey, this is TC. And this is Jim from the Studio Demands It podcast. Where every episode we take a demand from a hypothetical studio. Which could be you. And challenge ourselves to conceptualize, pitch, and craft a film based on the stipulations. Or the demands. We are given. We talk about movies all the time. Particularly, we complain about the choices made in the films we've seen. We're nerds like that. And, of course, like any good nerd does, we automatically assume that we could do better. Even with the demands and restrictions that clearly must have been put on by a production. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com and listen to our previous library of episodes. Our library of previous episodes. Our precious library, Jim. <laughs> our library of precious episodes. <laughs> You're a pirate Smeagol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com to listen to our library of episodes. And submit your demand for a future episode, too. So go do that. Okay, bye. Okay, end of ad. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> All right. So we got one more uh, test and then one more kind of like, I guess, myth with this one where we'll test something else with it. With one the, more hack and one more myth to test. I'm, I'm in, I love the hack. I can't wait till we get to it. But we're going to go to the test first. And I was part of this test, so I know kind of know what's going on with this. So let's go to the next one. Go. All right. So the other, th so, so the next myth that we tested and again, this is, I, I kind of developed these based on what I believed and what I had been told and stuff that I've wondered about. So it's, does bottled beer taste superior to canned beer? So the conventional wisdom, at least for me, is that bottled beer just tastes better. Um, even even if you pour it out mm -hmm. into a glass and that, that canned beer can kind of pick up this like metallic sort of taste. Mm -hmm. And I swear like uh, in particular, Bell's, Bell's Orsman Ale. It's uh, like a Berliner Weiss. It's a, okay. it's a it's a kind of a tart um, sour ale. I swear, I used to love it out of a bottle, and as soon as they went to cans, I didn't like it anymore. I swear, I even tried pouring it into a glass. It just like <laughs> I could have sworn, you know, that that like I'd had that experience. And similarly, I noticed it less out of like for like American light lagers, but for me, it was always especially like craft beers just seemed like they, they legitimately were more flavorful and just generally better out of a bottle. What, mm -hmm. what has your experience been with this? Well, most there's, there's been a transition. So I will say that. So most craft breweries, especially use bottles. Yeah. Um, they were bottling a until lot recently, until recently where they decided to do cans because it is cheaper to can than it is the bottle. Um, I, 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 I guess I would say personally, I don't think I would really tell the difference and, it's never something you've It's never noticed. something that I notice, I guess. Is, is it ever something that you have been there might told be certain in the beer. past? I've heard the I've heard this this story for where me, like, maybe. <laughs> no more than you. I've heard it from multiple multiple people. But like I I know I can probably see with certain beers, or it's even like it might just be an error with the can, even or you just like you might just get that metallic taste from the can because of the beer type and, or there's something wrong with the can. Maybe age has something or to do age, with it yeah. too. Maybe older, mm -hmm. maybe beers don't age as well in a can yeah. or something. So that's that's the only thing I've heard about it. Okay. So so there's actually a fair amount of like legitimate scientific data available on this. Oh, really? Okay. So um, 
There is a journal, uh, like a peer reviewed journal called Beverages. <laughs> they took time to peer review. I love it. Um, that, that, <laughs> that has performed a large scale test, about 150 participants. And then there was a smaller one done by the Huffington Post. In both cases, <laughs> participants were largely not able to differentiate the two. Okay. So there was not a statistical difference in participants ability to differentiate canned from bottled beer okay and so like i can see why the like the beverage industry probably wants like good solid peer-reviewed science like this because it if it's going to make something taste better then more people are going to buy it like it makes sense Mm -hmm. um why this data would exist but it was surprising to me um but i think it also shows the fact that this study was done shows that this is not like some weird thing that only, you know, my friends were like, this is something that people talk about. And mm-hmm. even on the industry level, they wondered this question and they studied I it. I wonder if it's more of like, because we talked about this before, where like if you have someone that could tell the difference between the malts and the hops, if you have some kind of connoisseur beer drinker, they could tell the difference. And that's where it comes Maybe. from. Maybe. So interestingly, the um, there's a little bit of data on the Family Fair website. Family Fair is, you know, like a grocery chain. Oh. <laughs> um, so they contend that cans are superior. I, I take it they must sell mostly cans or something. I'm sorry, for the yeah. following reasons. One, cans keep beer fresher by actually blocking more UV light even than brown bottles. I mean, valid. Could, it, I, I could buy it. Two, can recycling is more robust than glass in most communities. Don't know what that has to do with beer. I, well, it's it's just that like generally cans are better because it's not just taste; they're like more environmentally friendly. Yeah, I, I don't know. Makes sense that like aluminum recycling would be f- more robust. Agreed. Oh, I don't know, but it has nothing to do with the taste. And of beer. three, <laughs> cans are more portable. I thought that was interesting because I know mm-hmm. like uh, like for instance like I like drinking Oberon out of a can. Oberon is a great beer, or I like drinking Oberon out of a bottle. Excuse me. Yes. Oberon is a wonderful beer to take on. A river if you're going to like mm-hmm. um if you're going to do canoeing mm-hmm. or you're going to uh um like uh what's the word i'm looking for the little rafting yeah yeah or rafting well, maybe not lazy rafting. river yeah, lazy river type like thing, uh yeah. yeah um <laughs> i really cannot think of <laughs> but you, you know like if you use the little floaties the little yeah. inflatables and you float down the river too yeah like a river uh, a little river float like that uh, like a canoe trip Wonderful beer to have. And I've noticed You know actually, what you can't bring on those rivers? Bottles. Yes. So and I was actually gonna say a lot of bre- a lot of the big breweries that have traditionally used bottles, the one I can think of the most is Corona. Corona was always, always, always bottle. Until recently, probably about a year or so, they started, started doing can. cans. Yeah. Because they realized and Corona's that Corona's always like famously skunked too, so I bet that they're better out of cans. Maybe. I mean that's yeah, but at least that's that's my <laughs> opinion. But but so some other things you you don't need a bottle opener for cans, True. which is useful. You can take them on rivers, like I said. Cans are also protected from breakage mm-hmm. much better than bottles. I I dropped a twelve pack of Oberon bottles on the way back from our on the way back from the liquor store to our town home once, <laughs> and it was a mess. <laughs> well, that's like the story about when we did the pumpkin spice and had the the Ichabod. When my first yeah. time I was trying it, dropped the six pack and only two survived. So yeah, so. Um, on the other hand, canning requires, and like f- for, um, for breweries, canning can be cheaper once you have a canning line. Yes. But you can literally put a dude <laughs> with a bottling, you know, like a little bottling <laughs> yeah. thing and you can make him bottle all the, so it's like bottling, uh, is cheaper in the short term, mm-hmm. but more expensive in the long term. Yeah. Whereas canning requires you to sort of put this infrastructure for specialized equipment. And notably, it's not really something that home brewers can do easily. Yeah. Home brewers can't can easily because the equipment is expensive to mm-hmm. do it. And generally, it's a kind of high throughput. It's more than a home brewer would yeah. need. But um, if you if you put in the money, then you can can and they have a higher profit margin, which is really important because um, like microbreweries have a very low profit margin. So. Yeah. And it makes sense because like with, with home brewing, technically the rule here, at least in Michigan, is you cannot brew more than 500 gallons in a year because mm. then you'll be classified as a brewery. Granted, I have not even come close to that in any way, shape, or form. I don't nope. think you have either. Nope. But like for you to do cans, it's it seems like it's pointless to have a canning well, machine. 50 gallons this year, it'll be a good year. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good year. Yeah. 
So I, I guess none of that answers the question, though. That's sort of a discussion of why you might prefer cans versus bottles broadly, but it doesn't cover whether bottled beer actually Taste, tastes better. Yes. So we did a similar test, bottled versus canned Bell's Two-Hearted Ale and bottled versus canned mm-hmm. Budweiser. So what were your experiences doing this test? I think this is where I actually got one right. Um, I think it was the Bell's. If I remember, I, I, I think I, you don't have the, the actual data in front of you, but like I think this is where I got one right, and it was the bells. The but generally, I think it might have been for the most part a lucky guess. I will admit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's just it it was hard to tell the difference. I think with those beers, same. I was shocked. I was really like I said. I feel like I've had this experience. I feel like I've truly believed that there was going to be a difference. And even tasting it, I was like, yeah. I cannot tell. I think I got it one comes right, down to the beer. It was definitely a random guess. Yes. Like, I think it comes down to the beer type when it comes to that. Like, a, like a, say, for instance, a sour. If you did a sour in a can, a sour in a bottle, which I don't think anyone does a sour in a can. Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, they do? Okay. Uh, uh, Perrin has a nice passion fruit goza. Okay. That's it. Uh, that would be one I would like to see the difference in. in, that, in Interesting, that yeah. So we did test... Two types of beer, but obviously there's a billion, so we can't test yes. them all. But yeah, it would be interesting to see if there's a difference, particularly for sours. So yep. the data came back again on both. On every test we ran, exactly one third, or effectively what you'd expect from random guessing, yes. got it right. Mm-hmm. And similarly, like Haley swore she could tell the difference with the two hearted, but often when we would ask, it would be people would prefer. Like people preferred the, or it was at least like one and one who preferred cans versus bottles. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a, there wasn't an obvious preference, mm-hmm. and there was no evidence that like we were really able to tell the difference. We were probably all just guessing. Yeah. So we've sort of uh, lightly debunked that myth. Um, I want to just again quickly acknowledge Family Fair, HuffPost.com, and AlcoholProfessor.com, who is where I read the data from that published study. Mm-hmm. So good on them for providing. Um, those are just my sources for yep. the data I presented. So we now get to the interactive part of the experiment. And I'm really excited about this. So apparently there is a shortcut to nitrogenating your beer. So if you are a fan of Guinness, you may have, uh, what do you, where's mine? This is, this is the test and then we'll pour it out. Oh, I see. Okay. So if, if you are a big fan of, of Guinness or other nitro beers, but you lament that there are few and far between, or that you don't have the ability to make nitro beers yourself, there is apparently a hack that you can use that involves a medicine syringe. So um, you can like, for I think for free, it comes with a lot, or I think you can just like ask for them at CVS. You can get these little five milliliter or 10 milliliter syringes from CVS. Um, for like giving medicine to kids and cats and stuff. <laughs> and um, and apparently you can mimic the effect of nitrogenating a beer by just blowing air into a freshly poured beer with one of these syringes. So you take a few mils of the beer up and then you take up a few mils of liquid and you just, bam, you just plunge it down just below the surface of the beer. And apparently it mimics the effect of nitrogen because one, there's nitrogen in the air, right? So our air is mostly nitrogen. So you are injecting that into the beer. And two, apparently Ryan is, (laughs) Ryan is uh, clearing, he's clearing the space around the beer that we've poured (laughs) uh, in case we make a mess. I'm prepared. But apparently part of what nitrogen does is it kicks some of the gas out of the mm-hmm. beer. It like yes. literally just helps to flatten it. Yes. It's not all that it does, but it's something. So yep. we are going to test this live on the air. I have never done this. <laughs> I don't even remember. I may have heard about this on Brewlosophy too, um, but I heard about it somewhere. Yes. And I was fascinated because I've always wanted, you know, I love nitro beers. Yes. And I, you know, you at least love Guinness. So we've taken... The Laheim um, Coffee Stout from Dragon Mead Microbrewery, which is a local in Warren. It's part of the family. Props to Dragon Mead. I'm going to take two mils of this beer. It's a carbonated beer. It's not nitrogenated. And then I'm going to pull up an additional... You know what? I'm actually... I'm going to do two and a half of each. So two and a half of liquid, two and a half of air. I've got that all in the syringe. All right. And... I'm going to go. Pow! 
Whoa, look at that phone. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Stop. Oh, oh. You know what? It's kind of doing it that is, thing. It is. It's the cascading. Yeah, it's we can see the cascade. Oh, my God. That's so cool. I'm really stoked about this. I am really as well. It, like, kind of did it. So, it the, the foam level about doubled. Um, yeah, easily doubled, for sure. And then you had, like, a slight cascading amount with it as well. Yeah, but it was doing that. If you've ever opened a Guinness, it kind of has a thing where it's, like, it almost tricks you into seeming like the bubbles are rushing downward mm -hmm. and it did that it yes, totally did it that did. okay so let's let's drink it all right so pour it out pour it out for the homies oh you got all the foam <laughs> yeah i figured that was gonna happen oh but look he's doing the cascade thing yeah, again still doing it this is so cool i'm nerding out so hard over this not as much cascading yours in that second pour from the glass but cheers mm, cheers to science science It kind of works. <laughs> it, it does. I, it's I would, like a it's like a poor man's version of a nitro beer. Like I, I would say, it gets about halfway there. Yeah, and, and it may be the beer too. You know, it's not like we can do this with like a carbonated Guinness or something. Yeah, but it's much flatter. But it it does have that kind of creamy. God, I'm shocked at how well this worked. That worked very well. I'm I'm honestly a, very a, surprised. after a couple of negative findings. It's nice to turn one off. <laughs> Like this, God, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. This is really, really cool. I might start doing this. I might. I mean, with, we, with we were I just talking about out other beers. Yeah, about to say I we have the the Neapolitan that I might actually try this out on it. I kind of want to. Yeah. <laughs> also, maybe you'd like porters better if uh, you nitroed them. Maybe, yeah. But no, that's that's surprisingly very, very good. How that's that turned really out. Good. So <laughs> this is really cool. Yeah, I'm glad we got at least one thing to work. I well, feel like I, I feel like we're on episode you know of Mythbusters hey, and hey, they finally hey, get hey, one to work. Hey. Negative findings are findings too. And actually, I would say it's better to know that we have a bit more flexibility. Cans versus bottles, who cares? Uh, you let your beer get warm because you didn't have enough room in the fridge? Who cares? It's fine. I would love to... So we've, we've talked about following up on the heat cycle thing. Yep. Are there... Are there there any and, and maybe on you know testing some other types of koozies, maybe testing in the summer. Are there any other things based on this you'd like to do follow up experiments on? We'll probably do another episode of Myth Bruce. Oh, for sure, yeah. So if if you if you out there have any anything in particular that you think would be good to test, definitely let us know. But Ryan, do, what, in particular, do you have anything that you're interested in, kind of as a follow up to this? To so this, I would like to to see other like very different styles of beer. When it comes to that can versus bottle, which is going to be difficult because not everyone does can and bottles of the same beer. Yeah, it's, like it's tough to find like, those loggers would definitely be the easy one to find, like the Budweisers and yeah. Millers and the stuff. Part like of that. the reason I picked Two Hearted was simply because you could find it in both. Yes, and it. it was a very like it was a it's it's a hoppy beer, so like it will be different than the Budweiser at least. So we at least got an IPA and a lager, so we can tell the difference. Yeah, but, but like you're right, like would it make a difference in like a um, like a stout or like a like a mm -hmm. multi beer would it make a difference in a sour beer? We could do a stout because Guinness does bottles and cans as well, but that Ooh, comes down to make a spigots. difference in a nitro. Yeah, but yeah, we'll probably tell the difference just because the nitro is better out of a Guinness. Yeah, or uh, out, out of, of a, a can. Out of a can. I knew what you meant. Can, yeah. I don't know. We had um, a couple Guinnesses, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I would also love to see. I would love to test this nitro trick in weird. Like how would how would a nitro American lager taste. How would a nitro in IPA, this method? Yes. How would a nitro IPA taste? Mm -hmm. How would I wonder if you could uh, like? Have you ever had nitro poured coffee? I have actually. It's, Starbucks does it's, it. It's freaking amazing. Yes, it is. I wonder if you could do this with coffee. Ooh. Like take a, like a cold brew coffee and do the thing. Maybe. I, I wonder if it would work or if like it needs the carbonation. Because, oh man, that's... So I about to say, yeah, maybe if you had a cold brew and then you nitroed it, like, because yeah. like at Starbucks, they do have a cold brew on, on yeah, tap yeah. and then the nitro on tap. So like, if you did that cold brew doing the same method, you might be able to nitronize it. It's already carbonated yeah, yeah. or aired. Yeah. Of course, um, aired. Great Lakes Coffee does this thing. I think maybe we've gone there with you guys. But yeah, like, we went there before great, that. Um, great Lakes Great Lakes Coffee is, I think, like a Detroit area specific chain but like mm -hmm. it's, they make amazing pour over coffee but they also sell beer and stuff mm -hmm. and you can get it half and half of nitro coffee and beer yes and it is 
So good. I, I did it with the old Rasputin Russian Imperial Stout. Okay. Half coffee, half that. And oh my God, I was like, my luck. <laughs> but yeah, so I think there's a lot of options there. Um, yeah, I, I would like basically just love to screw around with this syringe trick with like different a things. ton of beer styles. Just just to see what works like. Because I feel like Nitro, we, we talked about it a little bit in our Porters versus Stouts episode. But like, um, which is hopefully aired by now. I think so. But um but yeah, like I think nitro's kind of underutilized. Like you know, hoppy beers on nitro. What's what's that like? Like a red on nitro. Mm-hmm. What's that like? It's it's interesting to see. I'm honestly. But you could test it here before yeah. you before you True. you know invest in the equipment or you know actually actually like nitro a beer. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so yeah, so that's that. Yeah, yeah. that's I, that, that was our, fun. I'm about to say the first the the first of many myth brewsters episodes that we'll have yeah so if, if you have any comments about this uh, either on that or, or on the first sip if you want to talk about aliens or i will, I will with gladly Lion, talk anything like you, that with you, you you can find the podcast on uh twitter at brewers in law that's all one word um and also uh, at our website brewers again yep. all one word and in addition to that, Ryan, if people want to reach out to you personally, uh, where can they find you? So on Twitter, you can find me personally at Rambo Coon, or if anything brewing related for the most part, um, I post all my brewing stuff at Wise Old Owls Brew. You want to keep for up Twitter? On, yep. Keep up on the status of Ryan. Yep. So uh, I, I brew probably about once a month or so on average. I usually stop during the winter times just because it's Michigan and things freeze, so I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and also, I do have a blog uh, called hopbrewandblog.com. You can check that out as well. And of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts from. Please, We're on, we're on YouTube too. That's awesome. We're on YouTube, yeah. Um, and, um, and furthermore, particularly if you listen on Apple, if you're enjoying the show and you want to leave us a rating, that's very helpful for new people to find the podcast. I, absolutely. Like, we would love to get the ratings, love to hear your comments on it. It's, it's all it about helps the us. ratings. It is all about the <laughs> I mean, it helps us because then more people will find us when you look up yeah. anything beer related. We'd love so. to grow the community. Exactly. I mean, we're not trying to be like important people, but like, we just like to have fun and talk beer and brewing and everything. So, until next time. Cheers. Cheers, guys. <laughs>